Hello, and welcome to the Geeks Codex podcast. Halloween special. Spooky. 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 Welcome to episode 19. I am your host, Matthew Briggs. Spoopy. Spooky Matthew Briggs. <laughs> I'm joined by the ever spoopy Paul Stevens. Woo-ha-ha. And the getting spoopier by the second, effervescent James Cook. Ha-ha-ha-ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> On this week's episode, we will be discussing our Halloween tricks. Mm. What does that mean, Paul? It means that sometimes you think you're going to get something nice, and you don't get something nice. You get something inadequate. <laughs> What's scarier as an adult than inadequacy? I, I, I am kept up at night. So I can it, confirm by the idea I might be an inadequate human being. So, I mean, really. <laughs> Based on our out-of-show discussions on our WhatsApp chat, when you mention this idea... I had the mental idea, it came together as any form of media, and it's going to be Halloween-based and we're doing tricks, this should be the media equivalent of the razor blade in the in the candy apple. Yeah. I wouldn't go that extreme. I mean, mine's more like <laughs> well, toilet paper in your house, but yeah, sure. Too late, I've gone, I've gone razor blade. I, I okay. will say, I have been liberal in my interpretation of that, but I think the Briggy will be annoyed enough that he forgives me. <laughs> Oh, that's great, because you're going to annoy me, I'm going to annoy myself by having to mention what I'm mentioning, and I think I already know what Paul's going for. So, Paul, why don't you start us off on this week's episode and tell us, what's your Halloween trick? Yeah, well, so if you'd listened to the last episode, which, uh, congratulations. Hi, Max. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You'll have heard that there was a very nice computer game that came out called Costume Quest, and then Briggy, in his research, was talking about uh, an original Federator animation which then became originally it was supposed to be just a one-off and then it became an amazon original animation of costume quest we like amazon right we've, i think i think we've got that from the last couple of times we've done amazon series it's been majority like we've enjoyed it apart from, i imagine someone will have a weird accent <laughs> like that seems to be the running gag for amazon original series right yes. now is someone will have the wrong accent or just a very bad accent oh uh, well um, i mean no that, of all the criticisms that i will level at this show accents and <laughs> aren't the thing that's the issue have you the, seen it oh uh, well the actual costume quest show Yes. Oh, because from my research, at the uh, time of the recording, half, it wasn't... Second half isn't out yet. Uh, so first half was released early in the year. Um, and I'll save you... Before Halloween. <laughs> yeah, I'll save you the, the heartache that is taking an original idea and genericizing the fuck out of it <laughs> until it becomes just another one of those shows. The original Costume Quest, as I explained, was about two kids on Halloween night who are having to, one, rescue their sibling. And it's, it's, it's a nice, straightforward, like, comedic romp. And it's a very straightforward it's game. It's Saturday... You said it was a Saturday cartoon, like, as a game, and I yeah. agree. And this is the, the alternative, which is the poor man's every recent animation where rather than being a straightforward, just here, here's a premise and you can enjoy it, here is a premise where we're going to build a world around the concept that didn't need to be built. That's totally what <laughs> Costume Quest needed. Yeah. So b- before we go any further, just because this is not Fredda's uh, first video game adaptation, so I just want to see if you have seen, I, I know you've seen one of them, if you've seen the previous ones and how you think this holds up in terms of a video game adaptation from the studio as to whether or not this is a good or a bad sign. So the first one that they did was in 2008 was Ape Escape. Oh, oh, good. Because that needed that a needed show. a show. Yeah, <laughs> this doesn't bode well because I remember sort of your feelings on the next one, which was um, Castlevania. 
Oh, which no. we did for the sh- show. Castlevania is is fine if you just don't watch most of the episodes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's second season. If you don't watch the second season, first season's great. Watch the first season. I mean, on the other hand, it has some delightful gifts that could, come out of it. Could this be a flip? Could this mean that the first half of Costume Quest is garbage and the second half might actually be level, like season one Castlevania good? Uh, no. No, I'm going to go <laughs> and say no. The, well. the, major, the major issues I have is, is that a lot of the things that were like cute in costume question game are over contrived um, and annoying in the series because rather than, for example, uh, the first episode opens up where the, the kids are getting ready for, for Halloween and the idea is, is they're being all wanting the same generic costume and uh, the main character, Ren, who is annoying rather than being precocious, um, is... It's a fine line. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> um, you know you're a dad. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, she is desperate to get a specific um, ver- a costume where they've sold out everywhere. And... Is it a Fortnite costume? Oh, no, it's it's Abraham it's Lincoln man. robot. Because if there's one thing that would sell out quickly, it's a mass-produced Abraham Lincoln robot costume. Yeah. And Mecca Lincoln was a great leader. Yeah, well, this is this the, it, it then gets expanded on that they then come across a because this is the other thing is is the friendships are already established rather than meeting the friends along the way and it becoming a nice thing there. It's like, no, they're already friends. Because they're that's already... a great way to start a kid's TV show. Yeah. And also it's a case that they go to a, a magical shop that has um a, like a weird mysterious guy who introduces the kids to a special place where they can build their own costumes and please don't the... say he introduces the kids to a special place that's just uncomfortable most of the episode is uncomfortable it's <laughs> yeah it's um and they they create all their costumes and then they go out and there are monsters but the monsters are actually part of the town because the town's important because rather than it being everyday America where it could be anywhere, no, it's specifically this has like, they have a fairground that's like based on a sweet factory and uh, I just don't like it. Did did <laughs> they just sort of look at Gravity Falls and think, we yes. want to do that but not actually bother having somebody involved who cares? Yes, <laughs> yes, that's exactly what they did is they took shows like Gravity Falls and went, oh, we you can know, do something similar shows to shows where showrunners had had this idea for years and years and built up the law sort of organically in their head and then basically had to make it their passion project and work really hard to make it work because it's hard to do that kind of thing for kids that kind of thing yeah. but also they just wanted to do it without having anybody who had any actual ideas well, what are Alex Kirsch, Pendleton Ward and J.G. Quintel up to these days? Lots of different shows. Not this for a yeah. They're <laughs> developing things and we're hoping they'll come to fruition. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, we're crossing our fingers for them. Have they become the double fine of animators? <laughs> <laughs> Alex Hirsch was already kind of the double. We're still amazed that Gravity Falls ever got made, let's be real. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it is, it is not even second rate. It's like fourth or eight yeah. Gravity Falls. It's, um, it's the... This is what, from what you've said, and I haven't seen the show, but it sounds as though they kind of looked at things where they were very much passion projects for kids shows. Things like Gravity Falls and Steven Universe, where it's like, the reason that they have really detailed law is that they have these people behind them that have spent years desperately trying to get them made. And then they thought, we can just sort of come up with a basic idea, hire somebody onto the project and be like, just do that. Yeah, it it feels like... And again, I think the issue here is if it had been 
something else generic where it wasn't costume quest if it had been just a, a throwaway mm-hmm. show i i wouldn't have cared and therefore it wouldn't have been an issue to me but costume quest is like a nice thing yeah and it's it's not a thing that's made better by having a third rate wannabe other show it's also just not something like the concept of costume quest is is so centered around it being like one episode of a hypothetical Saturday morning cartoon. It's not a series. Like it's, it happens on Halloween for a very specific reason. It is one episode of a series that doesn't exist as a video game. Like it did not need to be a whole series. It is one episode of a series that doesn't exist. Like costume quest does not need to be an ongoing serial media experience. It's a, like a five-hour video game. Yeah, but but what if we could just drag out that concept to what is probably about six hours worth of content so, that isn't as good? So basically what you're saying is the real horror is the effect of capitalism on art and franchising. The well, real horror is the friends we made on Long the Way. <laughs> no, the friends we already had, we established that they messed that up as well. Yeah. Um, real horror was the friends we had all along. It turns out you're, it turns out the friends are bad, folks. You heard it here first. <laughs> well, and, and as I say, the, the show, it doesn't feel like it has a real soul to it. It generally feels like it's, as a concept... That would be fairly apt for Halloween to be soulless. Yeah. Yeah. But not in like an entertaining way. No. <laughs> <laughs> One of those those unsold, uh, boring things. And that's the other thing is it's a boring show. It's it's not. It sounds it. It it's sounds not exciting. There's no dull. There's no like emphasis like, on anything that would go. Oh, mediocrity is, is the worst thing you could get right. out of a show like, like this. Who is it for? Like it's because most of the people who played Costume Quest were probably not young kids. But it sounds as though it's probably pitched towards young kids. But if you don't already care about Costume Quest, why would you watch it? Well, this is the thing that I don't understand about Amazon original animation because they have some quite good animation and they have just yeah, random they have that, animation. They have that egg and what's it show, don't they? Danger eggs that's amazing that's a great show they had an episode specifically because the eggs called philip and they had an episode that went on and it just had a (laughs) philip con and i I may have mentioned that to someone we might know and i'm not sure he appreciated it in any way shape or form but it's a good show yeah no Um, danger and eggs is a great show i forgot the name but it's a great show lit up yeah, There's so much of the mention of Danger and Eggs. It's a great show. It's a great show. Yeah, but again, that's like a real heartfelt. Like people cared that's, about that show. I I know for a fact the people who wanted to make that show, like it was again a show where it's like it was something where there were people who wanted to make it who spent years trying to make it, as opposed to this where it's like executives decided they could make a franchise and then they hired people on. And then they expected it to have the kind of... Because people are always talking with, like, kids shows. Like, oh, kids shows are so different now. They have, like, ongoing arcs and world building. And I'm like, you can't hire somebody onto a pre-existing project to do that. The reason that that exists is that people sort of grew up wanting to make those shows and then they finally got the chance to make them. You can't outsource that kind of thing. Yeah, because it's like the whole um, New Thundercats where everyone was sort of, like, immediately turned off by the idea of it being sort of like a, a cute fun Thundercats. And it's like, that's because it doesn't feel like it's like a natural evolution of anything. New Thundercats? 
Have you not seen the new Thundercats? The Thundercats now, now cut to every episode where you've mentioned new Thundercats. But the, thing new is, Thundercats. <laughs> the thing about that is, it's also not a show that is sort of like, we're going to make like a world building law heavy arc. Like it's, it's very explicit, like the equivalent of a sketch show. Yeah. So I'm perfectly happy to forgive that because it's like on the one hand, it doesn't feel like an evolution of Thundercats. But on the other hand, it's also not pretending to be like a law heavy thing. It isn't a show that's sort of looking at the success of shows that have been like, unusually developed for kids shows and are kind of like we can outsource that it's more like we don't have to do that wait what the new thundercats is a sketch show thundercats go is very much like teen titans go it's called thundercats go yeah literally <laughs> so it is teen titans go with thundercats right i'm either gonna love or hate i haven't actually watched any of it it looks it looks i don't think it's out if it's a sketch show do we call it, it do we call it monty it, cats or thunder python it's Okay, we've gone off topic, but like it's a silly, fun show. But it's like, as opposed to something like this, where it sounds as though they really wanted it to be something that had like, oh, look at us, we're we're a kids show, but we've got heavy world building and continuity, and it's like you can't outsource it. Yeah, but in a similar variety to Thundercats, it's also that thing where we'll just take a, a well-known name, and we're not even a well-known name, a name that exists, and then slap it on there. Because let's face it. When you're making an original show, what you need is, is you need an existing st- like franchise or established name to be able to go, this is like in the vein of, but it's not really. But you see, I find that forgivable with um, something like Thundercats Go, where it's like, it's it's also just not trying to be more than it is. Like, it's just trying to be a fun cartoon that's easily marketable with a pre-existing toy fan base. Whereas something like what you're describing for um, Custom Crush, it, it, it sounds more like they they kind of like want to get the acclaim that I like something like Gravity Falls, for example, has, but without any of the effort. Whereas it's like the thunder, the new Thundercats show, it just wants it to be funny for like five-year-olds, which is fine. Hasbro, Transformers Go, get on it. Sunrise, Gundam Go, make okay, it. Okay, to be clear, <laughs> the good Transformers Go exists. It's Transformers Cyberverse, which is hilarious. Okay, Gundam Go, make it happen. <laughs> yeah. I need this in my life. Isn't that just the Gumpla show? No, no, no. I mean, I need, like, Teen Titans go level okay. chibi, like, just making tongue-in-cheek references to their own universe, because okay. they love it. Paul, you can cut this, but Briggy, if you want, like, a fun Transformers sketch show, Transformers Cyberverse, specifically Series 2, delightful. It's just G1, except they're making jokes about being G1. That's great. We can keep that in, because at least with the, 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 the recommendation to stay away from something, like Costume Quest, comes with the recommendation to, hey, there's something actually good. Yeah. And also, <laughs> like, if you didn't like, because I know a lot of people didn't like Transformers Cyberverse Series 1, you can just skip straight to Series 2. It doesn't fucking matter. Anyway, Paul, continue Costume Quest. Yeah, so, in short, it's it's an Amazon original. They are very hit and miss. Um, this one's a miss. And by all means, it, it, see the first episode, make your own minds up about things, but I, if you if you get through that and you really feel that that's something that you want to keep watching, then good for you. But it's not for me. It's just it's soulless. It's it's corporate and it's it's not very good. I mean, it's Halloween soon, so I might subject myself to the terrors of the costume quest show just so I can so what you're saying, join you in your hatred or tell you that you're wrong. I what you're saying is the real horrors that we encountered was the capitalism that we found along the way. No, it's just Amazon Originals. I mean, what do you think Amazon is if not literally just capitalism incarnate? What if capitalism had a tape player and it kept playing you tapes where it just told you about how sometimes like a 
system of like financial gain on the backs of the workers. <laughs> it was a really bad idea. We had to keep going back and forth to get it, and sometimes it got corrupted. So Did that work. Do- so, so capitalism. Doom- <laughs> so, so Doom Three again. <laughs> capitalism Doom Three, same difference. Sorry, Bioshock. Bioshock. No, no, that, I mean, no, no, no. That's objectivism. Doom, Doom, Doom Shock Three. Doom Three <laughs> is about capitalism being bad. It is. Yeah. Doom. In it's general, just it's also a corporate product, which proves that capitalism. Oh my God! It's just meta capitalism is bad. That's why it was all in shadows and you didn't get a light. <laughs> we had to make it better with mods. <laughs> New Doom is just about slaying demons, which is why people like it. Yeah, it really is. Because <laughs> we're, we're too bogged down in capitalism in the real world that we'd want to stay away from our video game capitalism. Yeah. I mean, loot boxes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's get old Jim Sturton now. Oh, the horrors. <laughs> oh. The humanity. One so that's, day. That's, a, that's a glowing not recommendation for Costume <laughs> yeah. Quest then. Yes. Okay, well, I'm up next. So James is going to annoy me now from what so, I've heard. So I have sort of cheated and sort of not. The thing I'm going to talk about is something that I really sincerely love and I'm very passionate about, but that I would never recommend to somebody for various reasons. And it's also something which is fairly topical. So there was recently a Nintendo Direct about how we're getting a sequel to this game. And I would like Briggy is looking at me. And Don't I, you dare. <laughs> so there is a game that I love really deeply that is now out on Nintendo Switch and is getting a sequel very soon. <laughs> Briggy is looking into the distance like he regrets his whole life. But I'm going to talk about all the reasons that I wouldn't recommend it. And it is Deadly Premonition. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So we, I have spoken about Deadly Premonition <sighs> on this podcast before, and Boogie's been like, why Why do you like this game? So the way you build that up, I thought you were about to shit on Luigi's Mansion. <laughs> and I was about ready to fight you in real life. <laughs> why the fuck would I do that? Briggy? I don't know. I thought you'd gone off your rocker. I thought this was the true Halloween moment of, like, James has been possessed. (laughs) Gooigi is love. Gooigi is life. But no, so Deadly Premonition is one of those games where it's, like, notorious for being such a janky fucking game, and a lot of people hate it, and it's one of those games that, despite being a cult classic, it's generally acknowledged that people like it, quote-unquote, because it's bad. So for those that don't know, Deadly Premonition is a... It was a... PS3 game wasn't it originally I play I played the director's cut on on Steam um so it was like a last yeah, I know PS3. it was last gen it was a last gen game that looks like it came from like the bad parts of the generation before it is a clunky unplayable mess that is full of fucking ridiculous goddamn systems that are like let me give you an example Deadly Premonition is a game in which you mostly spend your time in a specific sort of town that you have to navigate as a quote-unquote open world. To do so, you have to drive around. Let me explain to you how driving around works. There are 18 buttons that are used to drive around in a game that has nothing to do with driving. Also, you have a realistic gas meter in a town that has realistic gas stations So you have to actually like fill up with gas by actually plotting how you're going to drive around with 18 fucking buttons in a non-driving game. Also, there is an actual fucking timer in the game. So you have to go to certain places at certain times. 
this is not the point of the game. This is not the main mechanic of the game, but you will spend most of your fucking game time doing this. This is one of about 50 similar systems. Other things you have to do in this game, which has nothing to do with this. You have to eat regularly. You have to sleep regularly. You have to launder your clothes regularly. It's Shenmue, but worse. Literally, it is. All of this... Which is something that excites James, and I just don't understand. I just don't understand it. Listen, I I love this game, so there are a lot of reasons... It's a bad game. (laughs) Have you seen the speedruns? I want to be clear. No. (laughs) They're amazing. Mechanically, technically... (laughs) Spiritually, this is objectively just a janky ass fucking game. I do sincerely love it for a lot of reasons, <laughs> but it is objectively, and a lot of people might be thinking, well, why is this game going on like a spoopy list? So, this is one of the things that I wanted to actually talk about with this game is that this game is a game which is so heavily based on Twin Peaks that they literally <laughs> had to change it before launch because they were threatened with being sued. And and it it is a game that has like a certain level of like what I would call PS2 Japanese horror. Mm-hmm. It has that particular feeling of like I would call them double A games, like in terms of mid budget horror games that were fairly common on the sort of explosive PS2 era, which you sort of see them with things like Fatal Frame. Mm-hmm. They are not triple A games, they are not high budget games. Nowadays, like console games they basically have to be AAA in order to get released, even in Japan. But like, you, yeah, it is. It's a really good game. But it's also a game that you would not get on the PS4, even in Japan. Whereas there was a period, and this game is not from that period, to be clear. There was a period on the PS2 where you could be a mid-budget developer and get a release on a major console just because it sold so well and the overheads were not as high. This is a... PS2 era game that got way too big for its britches that released a generation and a half too late and it is it is a game set in a small weird quirky town that is heavily inspired by Twin Peaks where you play as a weird quirky protagonist that is very clearly Dale Cooper um, and you attempt to solve murder mysteries that are quasi supernatural. It it's fucking Twin Peaks the game. It yeah. is, and I love Twin Peaks, and I love that Twin Peaks the game is weird and confusing and clunky in the way that Twin Peaks the series was. It's so, <laughs> it's so perfect. It's just like the universe conspired to make a game. This perfectly terrible, but also, like, I haven't even gotten into the fact that there's a load of awful tank controls fucking combat sections. And when I say tank controls, I mean, it's like, you know how there's tank controls in the first Resident Evil game? Mm. And even though they're really clunky, they enhance the horror because they make it like a resource management thing where because it's difficult to shoot, it makes ammo like a valuable resource and like it adds to the horror this is like that except it didn't understand that was the point like you have tank control shooting sections except they don't really ration ammo so it doesn't add to the horror it's just frustrating how are you coming at this with such glee i love it you're accurately describing how bad a bad game is while smiling I love this game because it is... There are a couple of reasons I love this game. So one thing is that in spite of all of its many, many, many flaws, 
it is a game that has such sincere interest in the world that it creates and this npcs like if you can get past the clunkiness and if i thought that most people could i wouldn't be doing it as a trick then the sheer heart involved in its npc interactions is and especially with regards to the fact that there's so much unnecessary npc interactions in the game like there's so much that you can do just through exploring you described it as shenmue but worse yeah and shenmue is already bad but if there's a thing that (laughs) obviously stands out about Shenmue it's that it's like it's a real world with people who have real interactions with you who go about their day on like a real schedule this is that but even more and like it's so invested like it's so sincere and it's so interesting the other thing is it has these beautiful useless things that I just think are fascinating in video game design to be clear I'm not saying that they're good. I'm saying I find them fascinating. Because there's something about being in a world that is both so complex and so broken that just leads to these emergent gameplay moments that I just really love. And it's just, I would never recommend Deadly Premonition, but I fucking love Deadly Premonition. (laughs) And like... I could sit here and do what most people who love Deadly Premonition do and say, if you dig through all the shit, there's a real gem of a game there, which I I sincerely think is true. I understand why people wouldn't want to dig through the shit, but like there is a lot to sincerely love. But I enjoy digging through the shit. There's something about so many weird emerging gameplay things that just erupt into something that is nonsense but you know this is a halloween episode we're not here to talk about fucking terrible gameplay mechanics we're here to talk about the batshit nonsense that is the japanese interpretation of twin peaks in a video game so to go on a slight tangent um twin peaks was incredibly popular in japan this is something that is really interesting to me is both a video game fan and a Twin Peaks fan. I'm a huge Twin Peaks fan because have you met me? Of course I fucking am. So um, Twin Peaks was enormously popular in Japan. Unlike um, in sort of its native USA and in the West generally, it was really popular so far as I know throughout its entire run. So the famous thing about Twin Peaks is like a murder mystery and is a weird supernatural horror is that Twin Peaks was great in the first series. It was great for like a few episodes of the second series. There was a period where even David Lynch wouldn't touch it. And then it got good again in like the last couple of um, episodes because David Lynch came back. And it was very unpopular in the second series up until David Lynch came back, at which point it was cancelled. Because David Lynch came back because it was being cancelled, basically. And he was like, I'm not letting it go out low note. So in, in Japan... Twin Peaks was basically always popular and like it was very popular and it influenced video games in particular a lot. Like fun fact, uh, Link's Awakening is heavily inspired by Twin Peaks. How it, it's the Halloween episode and your first pull is on to point out the fact that without Twin Peaks, we wouldn't have Silent Hill. I mean, yeah. <laughs> perfectly superior horror survival game. It's the trick episode. If I was doing Silent Hill, it would be in the treat episode, Briggy. It's a good fucking no, game. No, but just to highlight just how important Twin Peaks is to, like, good games. Yes. Silent Hill. 
But it's more... On one hand, it's Silent Hill. And on the other hand, it's Deadly Premonition. One no. is games you buy. <laughs> one is Silent Hill. On one hand, it's Silent Hill. On the other hand, a lot of people don't realise that Link's Awakening was inspired by Twin Peaks. I think that's interesting. And also, Link's Awakening recently got a remake. Which I think that's why a lot of people probably know that now. Yeah. Did, but... you, did you know gaming is all over that shit? Okay, well... <laughs> well, I mean, it, what I'm saying is it, it was a yeah. very influential series. And there were a lot of reasons for that. And I won't get into them because we're not doing a Twin Peaks episode, but we probably should. Isn't Silent point. Hill itself actually meant to be... Sorry, I'm mixing my Easter eggs up now. I'm just forgot that that's, that's Kindergarten Cup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but yeah, no. So, I so mean, many bits in that. It's not surprising that like a very Japanese game would come out of Japan that was heavily inspired by Twin Peaks because it presents like a surreal sense of Americana that is in many ways more recognizable than realistic depictions of America to Japanese people. It it's exaggerated and interesting in a way which both draws from Japanese horror because David Lynch is inspired by Japanese horror. And also, like, feeds into Japanese horror tropes. And so the story... I'm not going to get into the exact story beats of Deadly Premonition, but it has this thing that I think is interesting that we get from a lot of Japanese horror that's translated into English. And the other thing I'd mentioned here, which definitely isn't a trick, because it's amazing, but unfortunately we can't play it, is P.T. <laughs> Remember P.T.? Remember how P.T. existed at one point? We could get it. Yeah, not anymore. <sighs> Fucking Konami. Anyway. Sorry, we're getting uh, snakes and... Whatever, whatever the ladder game is. Death, Death, Death Stranding. Death Stranding, yeah, yeah, fuck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kojima spent his entire life making games about snakes. It's only that time he made one about ladders. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to... I'm going to just die. It's a really long ladder. <laughs> yeah, right. He's making up for the, the, the lack of ladders in other games <laughs> that have more snakes in them. Anyway. <laughs> but um, the thing that both makes... Deadly Premonition kind of cringy and also makes it wonderful as a horror game as somebody who likes cringy horror is it's got this element where it's got this in English I don't know how the fuck it comes across to people in its native Japanese it's got this thing in English where it just misinterprets Americana enough that it becomes uncanny Deadly Premonition is both terrible and a game that I love because it is the personification of the Uncanny Valley in both its, like, gameplay mechanics as being, like, it's trying to be all those things and it's getting close enough, but it's just failing enough that it just becomes pure jank. But also in terms of, like, its setting and its dialogue, like, the way in which people react to the fact that there's been all of these violent murders. Like, this is a game... Obviously, I've been comparing it to Twin Peaks. Like, it's a game in which there is the violent murder of a young woman very similar to Laura Palmer in Twin Peaks. And and that's, like, the main driving force of the plot and so on and so forth. And it's, like, ritualized. But it's it's done in such a way as that it's so... It's like mannequins. Hmm. And I feel like it's probably much worse for Japanese people who are just like, this is just, like, a weird, janky horror game. But when it's translated into English, there's this disconnect that just makes it so... It's like an Ed Wood movie. It's just like it's so... It just wraps around. Like, this game... So one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this game. This game is getting a fucking Nintendo-sponsored Switch sequel. We are getting Deadly Premonition 2. Why? (laughs) Why? One of the reasons is probably that since making that game, he's made a bunch of much better games... (laughs) And the thing is, the stuff that makes Deadly Premonition a cult classic is not the stuff that makes it bad. 
It's a cult classic. It's not one of those things that's so bad it's good. It's bad, but it's got enough good stuff under the bad that when you give him a decent budget and enough time to make it and more experience, like, because one thing I saw people saying was, well, if he makes a good game, people aren't going to like it because people like Deadly Premonition because it's so bad it's good. That's not really true. He's made a bunch of games that keep his weird, quirky charm, but are not bad since then. Like, um, Dark Dreams Don't Die, the game he made that I can never remember the name of that's like a weird artsy platformer. He's got that cat game coming out that he crowdfunded that is going to be like a game in a town where everybody's cats or something. And he's made a couple of other games that were very well received. Everybody basically agrees, like, Deadly Premonition was him having a low budget, trying to make a AAA game, and not having that much experience. Everything he's made since then has all of the weird, quirky charm of Deadly Premonition, and less of the jank. So Deadly Premonition 2 can keep all of the cool shit and just <sighs> not be as bad. I have made it horrible. But I do think I? it's going to be a situation where there's going to be a lot of people who hear, oh, this cult classic is going to get a sequel on the Switch, and they've ported Deadly Premonition to the Switch. Let's go buy it. And speaking as somebody who loves Deadly Premonition, who would write a book on Deadly Premonition if somebody fucking wanted me to, who would put 100 hours into Deadly Premonition, don't fucking do it unless you're a pretentious fuckwit like me. Like, don't be tempted. Don't do it. It's it's so much pain. But, but so I've had my Halloween trick now, because I didn't realise this until <laughs> James mentioned it. So, the list of games by um, uh, Hidetaka uh, Shihiro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not a good list. And unfortunately, guess what? I'm one of those morons that backed life is good. I'm oh, sorry, the good life. <laughs> which is the one Pass about the cats in... Pass it here, I want to check the name of a game. Hang on. Because uh, there are some good games that came out very recently. Well, he's also the, the designer from Tomby 2. Sorry, Tomba 2, if you're in the Americas. Yeah, no, I'm going to be honest. Dark Dreams Don't Die. I know some people don't like it. I think it's a fucking uh, good game. Well, I, don't, I don't think it's D3's fun. a good game. <laughs> it's really fun. Uh, he did. He worked on Lord of Arcana, which I know some people don't like, but I think it had I some good no shit opinion. going for it. And there's a game missing from this. Fuck. Uh, the game that I wanted to mention, it, it's missing from this shit. <laughs> he did one of the Gundam PSP games. Ooh. But I don't know because I didn't play it. That's because it was on the PSP. <laughs> yep. Also, the what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he worked on um, Lord of Apocalypse, but he was only a uh, sort of co-writer on that. I was kind of excited about the whole The Good Life thing. I was looking forward to, you know, British What's Village, it? lots of cats. I backed that. I was like, yeah, this will be fun. And I'm like, oh, no. This the is thing gonna, about that, This is going to be full of jank. No, but this is the thing. <laughs> the reason that Deadly Premonition is so full of jank is that he tried to make a AAA game on, like, an indie budget. He had very little money, but he kept just being like, yeah, let's just fucking do it. This was a Kickstarter. If I've learned anything from Kickstarter so far, it's that like one game in the blue moon is actually a good Kickstarter game. But the thing about Deadly Premonition is, even if you hate it, even if you think it's a shitty game, and I totally understand, it's still like 99% more interesting than 99% of like fucking AAA games because at least he fucking tried. Imagine being somebody who gets given a fucking pittance and being like, I'm going to make the most systems-intensive fucking open-world game ever with a dramatic, weird horror story that is a rip-off of Twin Peaks and just being like, 
and then I'm going to put it on a mainstream console and none of you can fucking stop me. I mean, it came out a fair amount after a lot of the other survival horror games that yeah. were like, based on Twin Peaks. It doesn't seem that out there. No, it's more the sheer scope of his vision and the fact that he looked at his tiny-ass budget and went, we're still going to fucking do it. And then they released it on like the Xbox. Like, fucking hell. The, the fucking goal... The fucking balls on that man. Like, I would have just gone and hit huh. home. <laughs> this explains a lot. Deadly Premonition received wildly varying critical reviews and holds the Guinness World Record for the most critically polarizing survival yeah. horror game. <laughs> That's probably not that difficult. Because it's like, if you're a You're medi- either good or bad, right? <laughs> yeah, you're either... If you're a mediocre one then you sort of it, meh. I mean you're I, either Resident mm. Evil 2 or you're Resident Evil Survivor. I mean what I will say is the year that it came out it was basically split between people who were giving it like 0 out of 10 and people who were putting it on their game of the year list. You're either Silent Hill 2 or Silent Hill 4 The Room. Yeah. <laughs> I am the somebody Room isn't that bad. I, I, not great, I would like to say if I had played it the year it came out it would have been on one of my game of the year lists. I'm just going to cut the audio at some point for Paul saying the room wasn't that bad to use out of context. Okay. Yeah. Hi, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like, I, I simultaneously understand why people would be like 1 out of 10, 0 out of 10, but also it would have been on my game of the year list. I'm just saying. So I haven't really it. talked about why it was spooky, but I also feel like saying it's just the plot of Twin Peaks explains it. Like... You know what Twin Peaks is about. It's just that. They literally had to change it because they were going to be sued. <laughs> I, I think the idea of driving a car with 28 individual buttons is pretty horrific. But I mean, yeah, like, <laughs> what more could I say? Like, and it's not a driving game. It's This is a minor mechanic, and every mechanic is like this. <laughs> There's so many. There's a button to turn the windshield wipers on. Yeah. And you have to do that because you don't have like a first person view that is like from the car's perspective. It's from the person inside the car's perspective. So if it's raining, you have to put the windshield wipers on because you can't see out the windscreen. Yeah. Sounds like Mech Warrior. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much the same. <laughs> Can you believe that this game exists? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of games out there that you are just like <laughs> They're, they're a nugget of, of Can you believe that Nintendo belief. is directly financing a sequel to this great Well, that's Shen- a Bayonetta 3, anything's possible. I was going to say, <laughs> Shenmue 3 is coming out, I'm sure, the Nintendo. Are you sure it's coming out? I don't believe it. It will do it's one day. It's strangely not getting positive reviews, but I think people just like, you know, roasting their glasses on Shenmue. It's not a good game. There are people out there that will argue with me. People here that might argue with me. me. Shenmue 1 and 2 are actually just not good games. Shenmue 1 is a fucking classic and it's I'll fight not. you. But, but where can you find sailors? <laughs> Briggy. Not get into this. Briggy. <laughs> Super hang on. <laughs> Briggy, I'm going to fucking fight you. Shemu is Shemu, classic. Shemu is not good. It is. Did, it's did, amazing. It's elements of good padded out by shit gameplay Shut for hours Shut the fuck up. End. I'm going to fight you. Did, did, did you check all the cupboards? <laughs> Briggy, I'm going to fucking fight you. Paul's the reasons it's not good. Did, did you get the capture we wanted yet? <laughs> oh, fuck that capsule machine. Just Briggy. Briggy, this is a game in which you can befriend an orphaned cat. Shut the fuck up. Oh, so much don't care. <laughs> Shut up, it's incredibly important to the development of open world games and I'll fight you. Anyway. Yeah, so is Skyrim. And we know how people feel about that. No, it's that. fucking not. <laughs> Shem- Skyrim is not Shamu. Shut the fuck up. Okay. Mm, it's better. <laughs> oh, 
we're not friends anymore. Friendship ended with Briggy. Show me with my friend now. Just saying. One of those is on the Switch. No, one of those isn't. <laughs> oh, yeah, because what we all really wanted... One of wanted, those is on Alexa. <laughs> what, <laughs> one we, of those isn't. what we really wanted was the 10th port of Skyrim on the fucking Switch. I mean, if I can get it on my Samsung watch, I'll play it. <laughs> I won't say no, Bethesda. For, Todd for, Howard. Fosra <laughs> Dot. F- Fusser, oh, okay, Google. Fusrada. <laughs> uh, okay, Google. Let's drive my forklift. So Google had Fusrada as bus route. <laughs> <laughs> Similar, but we're not quite there for the phone port just yet. <laughs> so uh, I believe I've got something to bring up for this episode, and um, since it's Halloween trick time, and I was like, what is? As I mentioned, the head at the top of the opening of the show, it was going to be the uh, the figurative media razor blade in the apple that is Halloween. And tell you what, I'm fucking angry. It's a bad time. <laughs> okay. I was a bitch moan about this. So I, I was like, "What is?" I was like, "What is the worst piece of media I've ever consumed?" Like that should be my base. I'm like, "Oh yeah, Transformers: uh, Age of Extinction." That's like three hours of my life that I want back, and I've never, never been angrier at ending a movie. And oh, usually, the last night is worse. I usually, well, I didn't even watch that one. Yeah, though, so, it's worse. Trust usually me. Usually, when I sit down to watch something or play something, I'm like, I'll try and at least find a good side. And then that movie, oh, I fucking loathe. I'm like, okay, I need something that had that level of feel to it. And there's not much in my life that comes to that. I was like, fucking, needs to be Halloween themed. So. Flashback to last episode when I gave you my quick rundown of the Alien franchise and my feelings on oh. them. Oh. Because and right here we can go like okay so Prometheus is eh we can eh, it's eh, mostly just mediocre eh, it's eh. just run to boring. the left exactly right. it's it's just stupid it's, it's not heinous it's just stupid it's it's mediocre at best and unfortunately it was but uh, it does have Idris Elba it was in the, it. it was the warning sign for why Ridley Scott should no longer be allowed to direct movies. or be allowed back to play in the I Alien mean, universe. Are you sure it wasn't that fucking Gods of Egypt movie? I mean, this definitely sealed it. However, none of us took that warning, and unfortunately it left us with what I think is possibly one of the worst movies in that franchise, and people will argue with me about this, because I actually like Alien Resurrection. Alien 3 is not even that bad if you watch the director's cut. I liked AVP 1, because it means Alien and Predators. Well, what's not to like? It's a fun Just action goofy. movie. Requiem had the Pred Alien in. It's gory as shit. Like, yeah, why not? Alien Covenant might be the biggest stain on the Alien franchise to date. My you, no, I mean, I still haven't watched Alien Covenant, but I will say I know a lot of people who are big Alien fans and they would agree with you. <laughs> it is garbage. I like it because they make all the worst decisions. <laughs> it's more bad scientists being bad scientists. In fact, no, you can actually give them that on this one because none of them are scientists. They're idiot colonists that sat down on the wrong planet because they heard a song that shouldn't have been there. Yeah. That's part of the goddamn plot for this. We have entire sections where Michael Fassbender is doing his best to carry this movie oh, on his he, shoulders. Is he in it? Where he, he's, he's in, in a it lot twice. of it. He's in it twice. <laughs> Why? Because he's an android, and there's another David android on on this mission. So he gets to see the original David okay. from Prometheus, which has gone all lore, and new new David is very data, and it's an entire Star Trek-esque moment, and like, oh yeah, we've got, there needs to be a xenomorph in this, doesn't there? We should add that towards the end. It's <laughs> literally a line, you blow, I'll do the fingering. What? Said by Michael Fassbender. It's, I mean, fuck, even with context, it's a bullshit line. I was sat there like, excuse me. He hasn't got an arm. Here's the thing. <laughs> if that was in like a weird alien fan fiction, I'd be like, yes, I'm here for this. No, it's an entire moment that feels like it could be from a remake of Star Trek Next Generation sounds, dealing with data and no, law. 
You know what that sounds like? It sounds like somebody saw Freddy got fingered and thought that that would be a really funny joke to make. It's about a flute. Oh my god! Yeah, it's it's androids learning to be human. Apart from this, android has decided that he wants to is, kill everything. That's probably Ridley Scott thinking he's really clever by making an incredibly vague oh, no. reference. He has said outside of the movie itself in interviews that he feels that the Alien franchise no longer requires a xenomorph and would like to focus more on the androids. And I'm like, well, don't fucking call it Alien then. Why? <laughs> why do we let him keep making Alien we movies? We don't know. Oh, I haven't even begun to talk about all the things wrong with this film. The fact that David, for some reason, has reverse engineered the Black Zigu, yeah. the Black Goo, the, the the accelerant from Prometheus, uh, and also kills um, uh, Shaw, uh, Nomi Rapace's character from Prometheus. Like she gets no screen time. She's in a YouTube-only segment that's a prequel to Covenant. Uh. That's because she didn't want to be part of Exactly, because she's yeah, smart. Yeah, she, she's too smart for this so shit. So <laughs> David has essentially created the Xenomorphs, which goes against all of the lore that everyone since but Ridley Scott set up for Alien is has the other thing. adapted and created. There is no the other thing. It's bad. No, I want to say that it's. this is the other reason it's bad. I have another reason why this is bad. You know why the Xenomorph is effective in the earlier Alien movies? Even though I don't personally... like click with it including aliens because the xenomorphs are not interesting because of law they are not interesting because you know where they come from they're interesting because they're xenomorphs and they're interesting because their design and what they represent and the way that they are presented within the films any movie that becomes more interested in where they come from as opposed to what they are is going to fail it also retcons avp which a lot of people will be like well that's not a problem but i don't like that because Alien Coven takes place in the far future and AVP Requiem took place in 2012. More people like AVP than they like Prometheus and it sounds like this takes a lot more from Prometheus and I'm just like, listen, you misread the room. Prometheus, you could have saved bits of it with elements. Like Some of the comics have actually made the engineers seem more interesting than they did even though I I preferred the old space jockey idea that was in the Dark Horse comics. Prometheus was was a fascinating idea fucked up by a bad script and bad direction. It it, it wasn't. Prometheus is just a bad film all around. There's so many things wrong with that film. It could have been a good film if you'd gotten somebody else to write and direct so a different film yeah literally but like you wouldn't have to change the core like high concept element you just have to change everything else except for Idris Elba because Idris Elba was very good he's not he dies so he's not in Covenant (laughs) right like listen to be fair Charlie Theron was also good in that film but but Danny McBride He's great in this film. If only because, I mean, I like Danny McBride. And Danny McBride being Danny McBride is like, yeah, cool. Danny McBride. I mean, he's, he, again, he's stupid colonists making stupid decisions, but at least he's entertaining to watch. Uh, the rest of the cast are forgettable. I can't remember anyone else in that film that isn't um, Danny McBride or uh, Michael Fassbender. Um, what's his name? Uh, the guy that always works with Seth Rogen and Danny McBride. Uh, James Franco. Yeah. Yeah, James, James, yeah, yeah. James Franco is in it for all of about five seconds as you watch him be immolated in his cryo tube. Like he just cameos because I guess Daniel I bet you got a good paycheck so, for that. Yeah. So and then he's in like a video that the main character has that she's looking back on because like they were married and like they're just the main and, character in this film. Don't know because they're just once again they're trying to replicate Ripley but not doing it right. And again, I don't think Ripley was that important to Alien past the first Alien anyway. Like, the that's thing the whole is, thing that fucked up the She is completely central to the first Alien film, but her film finishes with Alien. 
Mm, nah, it works with aliens. It's it, after it's that. It's good with aliens, but it could have been. They should have gone with the William Gibson screenplay for like, Alien Three, which had like five minutes of Ripley and like way more Hicks and Newt, and that was way more interesting. This is we've spoken already about Alien Isolation, but one of the benefits is that they didn't try and do Ripley again. Like Ripley is gr- fantastic in Alien. She fits into Aliens, even as somebody who doesn't personally click with the film. Like she fits into it. After that, it's kind of like. The thing about the alien universe is you don't have to keep trying to keep this continuity. It's the universe, not the characters. Amanda is a great character in Isolation. Like, it, yeah. it shows that writers can do it. And um, oh, I feel bad for forgetting the name now. Who's going to be in the next book? And she's in the comic books. And she was actually on uh, Luna and one oh, with, I don't know uh, her name, but I know what you mean. With Amanda before Amanda went to Sevastopol and is like linked into actually saving Amanda after Isolation because that one. Yeah, I know who you mean, but I don't know the name. Yeah, I feel bad for forgetting her. You have a phone, Google it. <laughs> I didn't, yeah. Well, I want to try and remember. But, um, but no, like, I feel like there is a degree to which one of the things I think Ridley Scott really doesn't understand about his own franchise, which is just depressing, is that. Alien as a franchise is not interesting because of its lore as a self-referential nerdy thing. It is interesting because of its concepts. They don't have to be 100% internally consistent with timelines and things. They have to be thematically interesting and like viscerally scary. And there came a point where he became more interested in lore than storytelling and it's, it's fine you can do law if you do the right kind of offsets it's, you can it's zula hendrix by the way right so, yes but like you can do it but he doesn't do it he, he tried in prometheus to do the weird not alien alien he just created oh, what, new the, the weird law. at the end or yeah. you mean the trial about it, no i would say what he did in that was he disregarded previous law in order to create new law. He didn't disregard previous law because he had an interesting story to tell that didn't fit totally in, which is like the Mad Max Fury Road approach, where it's like, it might not be totally internally consistent, but it's an interesting story and we want to tell it. No, no, no. What he did was he was like, I don't like my old law. I'm going to make new bullshit law. Ridley Scott is the Bob Kane of Alien. How dare you, Dennis? How dare you talk shit Isn't, about Bob Kane like this? What do you mean? Of course I'm talking shit about Bob Kane. Like, with Bob, like Bob Kane with Batman and Ridley Scott with Alien, their names are on it, and they were the first ones to have their names on it and come up with the concept that people love. But they're not the ones that created all the things that we love about it. But here's the thing. In the same way that James Cameron made the Xenomorph better, as well as H.R. Geiger made the Xenomorph an interesting it's design. It's mostly Geiger. All the things, well, and, uh, well, Cameron's storytelling, and, uh, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, it's the same way that Bill Finger actually made Batman... The Batman we like. But here's the thing. Bob Kane did not do the Batman equivalent of Prometheus. <laughs> no, he didn't get a chance to because he was already happy making his money, which is exactly what Ridley Scott should and be doing. Also, He's taking his paycheck and fucking off. And also Bob Kane got fucked over in terms of co-creator re- credits, whereas Ridley Scott keeps fucking things up and still gets all the what? royalties. No, Bob Kane didn't get fucked over. Bill Finger got fucked over. Oh, sorry. No, I got them mixed yeah, up. Yeah, that's you're what I'm talking about. Right. Yes. You're absolutely right. Don't, sorry. don't quiz me on my Batman I'm a fake <laughs> Batman fan and you should all roast me. So, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> So the things that make the alien interesting are things that have, I mean, aside from its initial design and Geiger's input, are things that came storyline-wise and and concept-wise from aliens, from Cameron expanding upon it with having the hives, having the queen, which was not a thing, having them... Briggy, you just implied that Bob came were alien. (laughs) You accidentally said Kane. I said Cameron, right? No, you said Kane. (laughs) 
Um, I'm going to stay neutral on this. No, you said Kane. It's very funny. I'm sure I said James Cameron. I can't believe Bob Kane invented the xenomorph. Cameron and Geiger. Yeah. Anyway, so the point I was getting at, to keep getting sidetracked, is these interesting things. So the the, the life cycle of the xenomorph uh, came from you know, mostly Geiger and Cameron expanding upon it and making the hive uh, idea, making the alien queen, uh, the idea of the 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 embryo coming from the chest, uh, the, the the face hugger leading to a xenomorph that gave you like characteristics of its host. Like these are all cool ideas to expand upon without giving you too much to know about what the xenomorph itself is or where it came from. There's that mystery still there. You don't know what the space jockey is, why these, like why they had so many eggs. And the more that they led to this idea of the hive, the more intriguing it became about the actual derelict that they found all the eggs on that, that Kane initially ends up with the face on his face with. That's, all stuff that gets built up and built up and like Prometheus. I mean, again, I hate prequels in general. Prequels just need to fucking die in a fire. I don't want to go back. <laughs> I want to go forward. But like the original ideas were things like morphing the humans into eggs that was in a deleted scene in the original Alien. There's so much about that. It just doesn't work. Well, and it, it, ideas about the alien like raiding the food stores in the original Alien to like eat the food that the crew had in. There's like none of the extra ideas that never made their way to the final cut of Alien are bad ideas and there's a reason they weren't there and this is what happens when you let yeah. Ridley Scott it's the George Lucas effect people don't tell him no anymore right this is a situation where it's very much like when you become famous enough within a specific industry people stop editing your work whereas speaking as a writer the biggest gift you can be given is an editor who tells you to shut the fuck up. Like, the George Lucas thing, it's also the J.K. Rowling thing. It's like, you never want to get famous enough that people stop telling you, don't put that in, because you can't see it when you are close enough to the work. And, like, the thing about removing those elements from the original Alien movies is that, like... Alien has a very specific, like, high-concept idea about, like, body horror, about pregnancy as horror, about, like, um, about, like, existential horror, which wouldn't be there if they had all of these, like, bullshit little extra things with the xenomorph in, like, the xenomorph is not a character, the xenomorph in the original couple of Alien movies, Alien and Aliens, is, uh, sort of, natural force that represents things like in a horror context it represents loss of bodily autonomy it represents like the fear of pregnancy which is a very explicit theme that's been discussed by cast members and writers and directors i feel like they keep this all the way through like everything from alien to avp requiem that is consistently there to, is, to varying degrees, but they, they, that's is, that's what they manage. It is there, but it is not as effective. And the reason it is not as effective is that they have all this other bullshit sort of muscling in. Whereas you watch Alien and Aliens, and it's just they cut all. Like you said, an editor told them you don't need to put that in, and it's just pure undiluted horror. I mean, we, we, and then we have you get to fucking for we, Aliens being as good I mean, as it is. I mean, yeah, but. That, that, that is the right kind of world building. And I mean, before, so we are gonna... You compare something like either Alien or Aliens, and again, I'm saying this as somebody who isn't personally a fan of Aliens, but like you compare that to something like Prometheus. Alien and Aliens understand that they have a thematic purpose. It doesn't matter about the specifics of the law because they are interested in getting across their thematic ideas. And they have different thematic ideas, but they are both very strong in getting them across. I'm personally not somebody who connects with aliens because I'm more interested in the 
thematic ideas that Alien gets across as a piece of like psychological horror, but Aliens is also like very strong thematically. You get something like Prometheus. What is the theme of Prometheus? It has no theme. It has no ideas. It has a lot of lore. It has a lot of bullshit like backstory. Does it have like a theme? No. Androids no. are jerks. You see, this is this is a thing. The with... theme is that it wants to <laughs> fuck Michael Fassbender, and like, listen, he looks like a fucking human shark, and I do not approve of this. So they've done uh, coverage to varying degrees of, um, over the years of comics for Aliens. We've had the Dark Horse series; it's the current running series, which is giving us a bit more lore and things going on. We've had um... is that with Dark Horse still? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've had. Um... Uh, Life and Death, uh, Blood and Fire. Those have, I've, I've got hardcovers versions because they're amazing. Um, we've had this law in. I mean, it's been retconned to some degree, but we've had good coverage of the law done in interesting, very comic book nerdy ways, but still fit within like what feels like it fits right within that franchise. Uh, even the space jockey from oh, there the are people who have done it well. They, we've had that race like discussed it at length in the comic. We've had audiobooks that include another dog like race that has like been wiped out by the Xenomorphs. We've had actual travel to the xenomorph homeworld and dealt with the empress in the comics that shit is my jam it's so good and it still stands up today if you go back and read the alien anthology that they've they've put that out that's like 20 quid to like read the entire run of earth war which is a story that should be fucking me into a movie and not this bullshit that stuff is good turning the engineers into just giant people is bullshit having engineers create humans is bullshit having them create the accelerant is well, still yeah, bullshit because... and having david take the accelerant and create the xenomorph a couple of hundred Again, years before alien one or less than that even is bullshit it's not that i think that law is bad or that doing a law explanation of alien is Bad. Like, it's not something I'm personally interested in, but I don't think it's quote-unquote bad. It's just, there is a temptation on the part of people who are maybe past their prime, like, say, a lot of, like, Ridley Scott's recent work, like, the dude has just run out of ideas. It's like, there's nothing wrong with doing, like, a lore-heavy explanation of this stuff, so long as you also, you create the lore with the themes in mind... But it's like, Prometheus is not, well, we, we we have the ideas and the themes of, like, the Alien franchise, and also we want to have, like, a nerdy lore kind of thing. It's it's like, we don't really care about the actual themes, but we care about, like, the minutiae. Like, the later Ridley Scott Alien films, so what happens when you don't care about any of the things that made the films good, but you do care about nerdy shit. So you strip out all the reasons that that nerdy shit captured the imagination of us nerdy motherfuckers. Like, we didn't become interested in alien lore because we really care about details. We got emotionally invested in the universe, and then as a result of that, we became interested in the lore. Which means that you have to have the actual reason that we became interested as like a, a core part of your lore. The lore is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just Ridley Scott doesn't care about it anymore. I, I don't even know what he wants to do. So I've got a few more things I'm going to say very quickly jammed together before the end of this episode about Covenant specifically. So on the upside, I will say I'll give it its its merits because I'm, I'm trying to be some level of fair. There are two good scenes in Covenant 
that are genuinely fun scenes for me. That did the, the one thing that an Alien movie hasn't been able to do, maybe ever, or at least since I first saw the original Alien, which was make me feel physically ill. And that is the birth of the two Neomorphs, which are, again, we have three different... No, two different types of alien. We've got, we've got two Neomorphs and then a Protomorph. It's not even a real Xenomorph. We'll get to that. So the Neomorphs, they are birthed from the back. Like, they, this, this some weird powder. It goes into your back and it bursts out your spine. So the first one, because it's not expected and it's new, that's kind of interesting. It goes, and it's gooey and like, oh, it's gross. Oh, goo. Yeah. So I, I don't like that. Not goo, anything but goo. So, Gooigi is here to haunt us. Well, I mean, it's lots of <laughs> lots of red gore and blood and stuff. And um, the second birth happens outside of the dropship and um, they push the guy down on his back. So the Neomorph has nowhere to go. It can't like, eject itself out of his back. So they have a... It looks like practical effects, which is why it's gross as well. But you see, like, heave through his stomach and push its way out of his throat. And then everything, like, the whole body deflates with that going out and the gib going with it. So it's like, oh, I nearly wretched okay. in the cinema. That's a good, gory sequence. Two like, things, like, though. One, are either of them genuinely, and I mean this, like, Genuinely, objectively, as good as the original Chessburster sequence in Alien. I mean, I think that's unfair because I don't think anything's ever going to be. That this good, is what I'm saying, but... though. Like the other thing I would say is, for all that Prometheus is not a good film, are they as like cringe-inducing as the self-surgery scene in Prometheus? Because that is the only scene that has ever come close for me as the original Chessburster scene. I don't think Prometheus is a good film, but the self-surgery sequence. In the same way that Dead Space's self-surgery sequences get to me, like, if they can't compare to those two, I'm just like... We're into you... different things, because the self-surgery did nothing for me in Prometheus. I, I, I think, I, I will say right care. now, I do think, as somebody who possesses a uterus, I think if you possess a uterus, it really has a particular effect. I think any of any sort of self-surgery in video games or other media, I've never. it's just not something that... that yeah. You saw the Dead Space eye surgery? Yeah, yeah, it didn't affect me. I'm not bothered by okay, it. Okay, well, Briggy, you're braver than any Marine, and I salute you, because... I mean, it's just, it's, it's different, like, <laughs> sorts of gore for different people, isn't it? So I, I guess. Know, but that's, that's, that's the thing, I'm like... I'm curious as to what Paul thinks. Is, are you Briggy or me? <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's that thing where... <laughs> is it was... Because it was in a medical bay, it was really clinical... Exactly, I don't think that bothered me yeah. uh, because of that. See, whereas for me, like, I was just like, it was very visceral for me because I've been, like, I think it's one of those things, like, have either of you ever had, like, a medical examination where you're on your back and they're kind of doing stuff you can't see? No. No. Oh, see, if, if not to get TMI, but if you have a uterus, that's a fairly regular recurrence. I mean, I've had the back of my skull broken open twice, so I couldn't see I it, mean, but it didn't bother as me. as a part of my regular health checkups, I basically have to do that, so... <laughs> anyway, trying to move on swiftly so I can cover the last couple of grievances yeah, I have yeah. about Covenant. Um, yeah, and also, I think the, the chest presser, like that gets me more because it's the, it's the cracking of bones and the explosion of goo. Oh, it's very <laughs> like, bad. Like, that, that, to that, be fair, that, that, gets, that gets me. Um, yeah. Yeah, so Covenant continues to do in like it tries to put forward interesting ideas and fails at every step, and then slowly devolves into becoming like a fan fiction of the original Alien. We get the we get we get another don't bad... insult fan fiction. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, there's bad fan fiction. So you go. Uh, I mean, fair, but so like... the, 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 what happens is you get um, another bad scientist being a bad scientist and looking over an alien egg because you know 
David told him to. That's yeah. literally what happens in the movie. That's how it works, right? A this, robot tells me to do this, so I guess I'll do it. Think of this really dodgy protomorph, like chestburster hatchling, like raising its arms up, praising the sun, and it's it's dumb. Then it, it you get to see it in more daylight, but with no fucking budget for some reason. So it looks shit as it runs across uh, the ship that Danny McBride brings down, and like the couple of members of like, Danny McBride, like trying to fucking. Tussled with an alien while he's in a cargo ship. Like, yeah, that's kind of fun because it's Danny McBride being Danny McBride. Then he gets back onto the ship with them along with David because they do a swap out for the androids. Like, oh, David died. No, the other android died and David's now above the ship. And then it hunts down everyone on the ship and you get this whole protomorph being a xenomorph thing taking out the crew. And then they blast out of a fucking airlock but do it with like this giant piece of machinery. And it's like, that could have been cool if this was like more of the movie. Like, you've, you've hit some of the notes that Alien hit so at least you're entertaining to some degree but this is like the last 10 to 15 minutes of the movie then it ends with the reveal that like oh it's actually David not the other android and and, and, sh- and the woman whose name I've forgotten who's meant to be the main character is like in the cryopod and she sees this happening and she starts screaming and he puts her in cryo like oh now I've got all these colonists and all these alien embryos like time to be an evil android genius and then that's the end of the movie and like Really, Scott, what the fuck is happening with this trilogy? Why are they letting you make this? Especially because his return to the franchise meant that Neil Blomkamp couldn't make Aliens 5, which was going to be amazing, and Sigourney Weaver was going to come back, and Michael Bean was going to come back, and they were going to retcon everything after Aliens. Briggy, they were just so desperate to stop him making 10 Avatar sequels, okay? They tried so hard. They didn't succeed, but they're trying so hard to stop him from doing this. That's James Cameron. Oh, fuck, you're right. Yeah. I just get them mixed up. He's allowed thing. to make Avatar sequels. That's going to be fine. They made the same mistake I did. They thought this would save us, and it didn't. <laughs> no, I'm looking forward to Avatar sequels. I liked Avatar. It's a fairy tale in space. That's how Star Wars happened. You're like, I'm glad that there's one whole person on planet Earth who cares about Avatar sequels. There's two. I'm sure me and James Cameron care about it. He is making them. <laughs> I mean, I think of... James Cameron just cares about money. There's so... lots of people who are looking forward to the new Avatar movies. Disney, Disney? Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. The, and bankers for Disney, and me, and all of the companies that Disney acquired. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but I like Disney. Yeah, yeah. So I'm looking forward to Avatar and Star Wars and every Marvel movie from now until the sun implodes. Oh, I wonder if they'll get to the point where the sun implodes and there'll still be Marvel movies somehow. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I'll, I'll, if I'm still around, I'll be watching them. The real horror was all of the companies that Disney acquired along the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Alien Covenant. It's bullshit. It's ruining one of my all-time favorite franchises. Really, Scott needs to be kept away. And I think the only solution is to nuke it from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. It doesn't work. They're already on the ship. So what we learned this It wasn't this already week... on the ship. It came with them. Yeah. So what we learned this week is... Amazon fucks up generic bullshit. Briggy has more opinions on Alien than even I ever thought that he would have. And I like shitty video games. We've we've all learned so much this week. I can explain to you in great detail the entire Xenomorph life cycle, including hybrids. This delights me and nerd. concerns <laughs> me and both of them are in equal measure and that makes me a hypocrite. So just to... You know, not just throw hate out there. If you want some good alien media... It's alien. Uh, there is several audiobooks, which I would highly recommend if you do audiobooks. Also watch Alien. I mean, I'm assuming people watch Alien at this point. If you watch Alien, then it's a given. But um, Alien, uh, River of Pain, and... Um, in fact, all of the Audible original dramas 
and the final one that came out being the unproduced Alien 3 screenplay that was originally written by William Gibson. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. that has... Um, that is good. That has both uh, Lance Henriksen and Michael Bean coming back to rep- reprise their roles as uh, Bishop and Hicks. And it's it's that's just so much better than the actual Alien 3 it that we really got. It really is. And I mean, it's, it's William Gibson. If, if nothing else, like, come on. William uh, Gibson. And just to plug it, because it was fun to watch, um, Because Science on YouTube is a great YouTube channel, and um, uh, Kyle Hill of Because Science does a nearly 20-minute long video explaining in-depth the alien, the xenomorph life cycle, which is a hilarious and educational video. And if you're a big alien fan and you haven't seen that, it's a good watch. So yeah, good alien stuff is out there, but it's not maybe really Scott. Not anymore. Wait, wait, are you saying he didn't make the Capcom scrolling beat him up? <laughs> No, that oh. was no, oh. no, because the main characters of that scrolling beam up are Dutch Schaefer, yes, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character from Predator, although now he has a metal arm, and Lynn Kurosawa, a completely original character that's clearly Japanese. There we go. <laughs> really, Scott couldn't even dream that connection up. So yeah, oh. I feel I feel lighter. I'm glad. I'm glad that this I've been was holding your in therapy. that hatred for Covenant maybe since I left the screening. You know, Briggy, you could just go to therapy, but I guess the podcast just this does is that. therapy. It's yeah, cheaper. It's the podcast cheaper. just does that for yeah. you. Also, it's, it's very spooky. It's very Ooh. spooky. Ooh. Ooh. Mental health issues. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I am the specter that is. Haunting. It's the real spookiness. <laughs> Basically, what I got I from that is that, that <laughs> if we're going to talk about like mental health issues, I am the specter that is haunting you. That is that is just my job now. Sorry, James covered for us. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm here for. You guys basically get relief from that. Mm, so on our road to Halloween, Spooptober, that is, uh, that is two episodes in now. Maybe we'll get another one. But I, I think we'll have one more actual Halloween episode. Ooh, what Ooh. will happen then? Maybe I should have rise from the grave. Rise from the grave. Hey, motherfucker. Worcester. Crackish. <laughs> So Ooh. I've been your host for Halloween. It is from there as well. What? <laughs> Ooh, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, oh, I just can't remember the rest of what Beast's sound effects. Paul, are you okay? <laughs> Didn't the Outward Beast sound effects? Okay. <laughs> but I can't remember them all. It's annoying the me. The what sound effects? Outward Beast. Oh, oh Outward Beast. Rise from your grave. Maybe there is room for one more Halloween episode in us after all. Uh, what, we're going to do a Let's Play? <laughs> Outward <laughs> Beast Halloween. <laughs> Oh, we couldn't raise enough money to make me do that. Steroids are bad. (laughs) This has been your regular sort of anti-drug message from Dare, I guess. (laughs) Maybe the real horror was the drugs we took along the way. (laughs) (laughs) On that note... I got nothing. (laughs) So that's been uh, our our Halloween trick episode. Oh. oh, we tricked you into maybe watching some garbage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I, I oh, tricked you spoofy. into playing really shitty video games. Oh, Rising from the Grave is the DVD of Alien Covenant, an Amazon <laughs> Prime subscription just for Costume Quest, and Falling from the Sky on Fire is Deadly Premonition. Avoid it. <laughs> Step out of the way and go watch Twin Peaks, which is superior. But it's on the Switch. I mean, by all means, go watch fucking Twin Peaks. It's amazing. <laughs> Even so, the movie. Yeah, I fucking love Firewalks with me. That's I will okay. fucking fight people about this. Okay, before a fight breaks out in the studio, <laughs> yes. I have been your host, Matthew Briggs. Oh, Spoopy. I've been joined by Spoopy editor, Paul Stevens. Woo-ha-ha. And 
soon to be falling out with James Cook. I mean, listen, don't even fucking start. <laughs> okay, so that was an episode. We will see you on Halloween, maybe. Oh my god, what's it? Ah! 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 Spooky. <laughs>